I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. As I had just mentioned in uh, the prayer, we'll be reflecting upon the fourth commandment as the Lord calls us to remember uh, the Sabbath to keep it holy and what that means for us today. And here in Genesis chapter 2, we find uh, the foundation, uh, the origin of uh, the Lord's Day, uh, the Sabbath day uh, for us, even the seventh day of the creation week. So here in Genesis chapter 2, we'll read the first uh, three verses there. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. I'm going to turn over a few pages to Exodus uh, chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, and here we find uh, the fourth commandment given to God's people. Exodus 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So far from God's word. We're going to turn now to the catechism in the back of the the Trinity Psalter hymnal to Lord's Day 38. Lord's Day 38 on page 891. There is one question there. I'll read the question and we'll respond together. Question 103. What is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? First, that the gospel ministry and schools for it be maintained, and that, especially on the festive day of rest, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to the Lord publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways, let the Lord work in me through his spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. So far from the catechism. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, one of my favorite phrases in the entire catechism is the way in which it speaks of the Lord's Day as a festive day of rest. It's not a day of laziness, as um, it's been accused of. For example, you can go back to the ancients, go back to Seneca, and he would either be, I guess he was critiquing the Jews at the time, uh, but they said that, that the Sabbath day for them uh, wasted a seventh of their entire life in laziness and in idleness. Uh, but the Lord's Day, I think, is rightly referred to here as a festive day of rest. And the Catechism uh, draws out what the festivities of the Lord's Day is. 
The festivities of the Lord's Day and the, pri- the primary festival, the primary uh, place that we enjoy is, as the Catechism holds up for us, the gathering with God's people in public worship. Um, as we gather together, it is a day of rejoicing. Uh, it's a day of festivities. It's a day of filling ourselves, uh, not with the things of this world, but filling our- ourselves and our hearts and our minds with the things of God, that we might rest from our normal work, our normal labors, and we might then rejoice in what God has done, filling our minds principally with the worship and gathering together with God's people, and then also all the things that are entailed with that, as the Catechism talks about, right? And it says there, to learn what God's Word teaches to participate in the sacraments, to pray to the Lord publicly, to bring Christian offerings. These are the things that the Lord calls us to do um, on this day. And so just to flesh out the festive day of rest, the Lord's Day, uh, we're going to have just two main points. And there is so much that I would really like to say, um, but we really have limited time. And so these are things that we're called to reflect on, not just one day of the year um, as we come to the catechism uh, on this. Uh, but to continually think about the Lord's Day and the significance that is for us and why God blessed the church uh, with this day. But just two main ideas I want us to focus on. Uh, first, understanding the Lord's Day. And so we'll look at the scriptures and see what God has told us about this day that we might understand it. And then secondly, observing the Lord's Day. What might that look like for us today, um, observing a day of rest uh, as God's people? So understanding the Lord's Day and then um, observing the Lord's Day. And so the first thing as we look to understand the Lord's Day is to turn back to Genesis chapter 2, which we had just read. As I said earlier, the Lord's Day, it's a day of rest for God's people, is founded and its origin point is found in the seventh day of the creation week. So in Genesis chapter 2. And you'll notice in Genesis chapter 2 a few things uh, going on. And just to read these verses again, it's just a few here. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, right? God on the first six days, by his uh, powerful word, by his decreeing word, uh, brought about and ordered his creation. But then, as it says, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day, from all his work that he had done. Now, when we hear that God rested, what might come to mind? And why does God, does it say that God rested? Well, it's certainly not because he was tired, right? The children here know that God does not grow tired. God is omnipotent. God has all power. And there's nothing that God can do that would tire him out, right? So God's rest here is not simply because he was tired, felt achy, he felt his back was sore, he needed a rest, he needed some water, right? That's not, of course, the case. When the Bible here speaks of God's rest, it doesn't mean idleness, and it doesn't mean simply just regaining strength. But God's rest has to do with him now looking down upon the work of his hands and enjoying it. God looking down at the work of his hands and taking pleasure in that which he had done. That which he had brought about as very good. Rest is not simply idleness. Rest is not simply just leisure. Now God can go do do something that he would have otherwise liked to have done, but had six days to work, but now he can do what he wants to do. 
No, rest for God is enjoying the labor of his hands. God taking pleasure and smiling upon what he had done. And this notion of rest becomes very central uh, to what God holds out to his people as the goal of their existence, as, as, as that which we are striving for. Rest in the finished work of God and rest in the work that he has called us to do, to look down upon it with pleasure, to look down upon it and to enjoy the work of our hands. So that's what it means for God to have rested on the seventh day. And it goes on to say, in light of God resting, right, in light of that reality grounded in what God had done in creation, verse 3 says, So God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Right? So two things you see there, right? In light of what God had done, creating six days, resting on the seventh, it says, therefore, God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, what does it mean that God blessed the Sabbath day? What does it mean that God blessed the seventh day of the week? Well, one commentator had said this. He said, by blessing the day, God declared the day was not to be a mere token of work ceased and a time to be idle. Rather, God declared the day to be a time of expectation, of fruitfulness and assurance. The day was to give a grand perspective for the future. The day was to be a time of receiving benefits for life, physically, morally, spiritually, week by week. The day was to give assurance that it was a harbinger for the never-ending day of completion, the day of consummation for the cosmos. What he's getting at here is that God blessed the Sabbath day, that it might be remembered, that the world as we know it, right, as we measure time, as we measure weeks and we measure days, that it would, we would measure it as a kind of cycle, that, e- that every Sabbath day things would change, right? Something new would happen. Every Sabbath day reminded us that the world, as it goes about in a cycle, is moving towards some appointed day. It reminds us that the world is not just this endless line that goes on into eternity, forever and ever and ever, things always to be the same. But the fact that God built this into the very fabric of creation was meant to be a a reminder to image bearers, reminder to you, That the world is not on this endless treadmill just moving forward. Just running and running and running and running and running. The fact that God blessed the Sabbath day brought about this cycle. And we again continue to even observe that as we have a seven day week. So that we are reminded again that creation is not again on this endless cycle. But it's headed towards an appointed destination. It's headed to the goal that God has established for his creation. And this is great um, comfort for us, right? In the midst of a world in which you see wickedness cycling, uh, spiraling down further and further, uh, where you see things that were once uh, dealt with now rearing their head again. Right? When we live in a world of wickedness where it seems as if uh, the wicked seem to prosper, read Psalm 73, for example, 
right, where it seems as if the wicked are simply prospering in this world and there's really no pains or nothing really that seems to suggest that they're going to ever come into any kind of judgment. But God gives us a day that he is blessed to remind us that there is coming an appointed day. To, to, to remind us not to lose heart, not to give up, not to grow weary, but to look forward to the day that God has appointed. He built this in, this reminder, into the very fabric, and he did so by blessing the Sabbath day so that we might work, but our work is not the only thing. It's moving towards this appointed end. And so again, this day gives us a grand perspective for the future. And God bless this day that it might be filled with reminders, filled with nourishment for us physically, for us morally, and, and primarily for us spiritually, that we would be reminded of these truths, right? So God blessed the Sabbath day, but he also, as it says, made it holy. Right? So he blessed it and he made it holy. What does it mean that God made the day holy? Well, we, we understand the idea of holiness, right? Typically, it's the idea of being set apart from normal activity, set apart from the world. But also then, positively, for something to be holy, it's devoted to the Lord. It's given wholly unto the Lord, a sacrifice before his feet, cast as a crown at his throne, right? That's what something is for something to be holy, fully devoted to God. And so one, again, the same commentator had said this. He had said the seventh day, as a holy day, is a special day. It's not to be considered as any of the other six days of activities devoted to serving and honoring God. The seventh day is special, particularly because it is the blessed day. People are commanded to keep this special day, Exodus chapter 20, so that they can continuously concentrate on the wonderful goal God has determined for his people and the cosmos as a whole. The day is for regaining if it has dimmed while working and strengthening the hope for what is to come. Right, so God sets one day apart for us to be nourished, to be strengthened physically, primarily spiritually, and that our hope might again be rekindled. That as we have labored and as we have worked that we might then have our hope rekindled for what is to come, what God is to bring ultimately in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So God blessed the Sabbath day, the seventh day, and made it holy because on it God rested, took pleasure in all his work that he had done in creation. And so that is fundamental to understanding the world and to understanding ourselves. If if we don't have in our mind the rock-solid fact, again, built into the very fabric of the creation in which we live in, that God himself rested and set apart a day, that our lives are going to be in turmoil and our lives are going to be chaotic. And really, very little proof needs to be said of that other than just look at the world around us. A world of striving and ambition, which are not necessarily wrong, but a striving and ambition that are going nowhere. A striving and an ambition that's simply just running on the treadmill of life, exhausting oneself until they die and are buried in the grave. 
and then all that they've obtained, all that they have gained for themselves is left to another generation. You could read the, you know, the um, wisdom book of Ecclesiastes, right? What happens to that, that wealth that you leave to a generation? Well, they squander it possibly or they use it well, but eventually it, it dissipates. And what, what of the life that strived and what of the life that was so ambitious? Those things are good. But at true ambition and true, true striving and working has to take into account the fact that it must be unto something greater, unto something more. The world is blind to that. That's why you see throughout world history this desire and attempts to move away from the seven-day week. Um, you can look back in the French Revolution, a day of chaos, a day of, of unbelief, a day in which they sought to um, have a purely secularized view of their life and the world around them, remove every element of Christianity, remove every element of God's revelation to us, remove every element of religion, and let us work this out our, ourselves. Let's work out our life ourselves. And so you see, you can find Napoleon destroying, getting rid of the seven-day week, getting rid of a day of rest, implementing, I believe it was a 10-day week, and it went by cycles of, of three, I believe. You can look that up. But what, en- what ended up happening? The French Revolution was, was short-lived because it was pure chaos. And people could not flourish in the midst of that because God has built into the very fabric of his creation, as we read about in Genesis chapter 2, that work is never meant to be an end in of itself, but it's meant to be unto something greater. And therefore, as the people of God, we all the more can model to the world around us what this looks like, what true striving and true ambition is and true work is. It's not one of just endless treadmill running, but it's one in which we, we work unto a glorious end that we know is coming. It's what Paul reminds us of when he says that we are to serve and work not as unto men, but as unto the Lord, because we are truly serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the one bringing about a new creation. He is the one who is bringing about what is everlasting. Our work today does not bring about those things that are to come, but they are pointers to say that something greater is coming. Again, it strengthens the hope that we have for what is to come. The kingdom of God, as we see in Revelation, is one that descends from heaven. And that is what we are looking forward to ultimately. And therefore, our work is not ultimate, but serving Christ is. And what Christ is bringing is ultimate for us. So these are the things that are simply given to us in, as a foundation in Genesis chapter 2. And so then we, when we turn to Exodus chapter 20, we come to the commandment. There we, we are told... That in this, as God rested, and so too we as his image bearers are to imitate him. We are to follow in that same pattern of work unto rest. And this is the commandment that is given to us, that we ourselves are to set a day apart in which we are refreshed, a day that is blessed by God, and a day that our minds are again oriented towards the hope that is coming. That's what Exodus chapter 20 is reminding us about. Now, as you continue throughout the history of, of God's people, uh, we find that, one, they often didn't keep the Lord's Day as a, or a Sabbath day. And you can read the prophets, um, Nehemiah as well, 
And you can see that it brought about great um, stress and ultimately the Lord's judgment against his people. Because it told God, and it was a testimony to God, that we would rather operate in the way that the world operates. It was, you know, by not observing a Sabbath day was to say that we must gain everything for ourselves. The clock is ticking, our lives are short, and to give up a day from striving for what we're trying to obtain would take away from the time that I have. And it's a test, it's a very godless mindset of our lives and the world around us. That's why God often brought strict judgment and strict warnings against his people. He would warn them, especially in Nehemiah, not to engage in commerce and in business because this wasn't a day for commerce and business. It was a day to rest, not to make a profit. And we'll talk about observing the Lord's Day as well and seeing how that applies for us today as well. But again, it's not a day of work, but it's a day of rest. It's a day of orienting ourselves towards what God has done. And so while God's people at times forgot the Sabbath because they became so earthly-minded, or, t- or, like the Pharisees, they became so meticulous in keeping the Sabbath that they lost the, ver- they lost the very heart of the Sabbath, why God had given it to them. On the one hand, people just ignored it and became earthly-minded. On the other hand, they became so meticulous in what was not to be done on the Lord's Day that they missed the whole point of it. That's what Jesus is often doing on the Lord's Day. It's why he intentionally will heal people on the Lord's Day, on, on the Sabbath, because he wanted to remind them that your rule-keeping and the meticulous observance of the Lord's Day that you had missed the very heart of it. Jesus reminds them the Sabbath, that man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made uh, for man. And Jesus declares himself the Lord of the Sabbath. It was a day uh, not meant simply um, for this meticulous boxes to check and this, this checklist to make sure I'm not doing these things. But it was intended to be a day of rest, of blessing, of recovery. And so the Lord uh, Jesus Christ um, begins to correct uh, some of these, um, this meticulous view, right? So and our own lives can fall into this as we move into our second point, right? We just had a very, very brief overview of understanding the Lord today, looking back at creation and then seeing God's call for us to imitate him. Um, but we ourselves, right, as we see kind of the errors that are before us, ignoring the Lord's Day with an earthly mindedness or weighing it down with a meticulous law-keeping that misses the heart of it, right, we are instead called to observe it properly as a day filled with worship, a day filled with worship, a day filled of mercy, works of mercy, and a day filled of works of necessity, what is required of us. And to get a a feel for this, something that's very, uh, a psalm that's very significant is Psalm 92. If you just turn there with me, it'll be quite helpful to just get our eyes on it. Psalm 92, and you'll notice the, the superscription that is given for this psalm. It says, a psalm, a song, for the Sabbath, a song for the Sabbath. And so this was a song that the Israelites would sing on the Sabbath, and it begins to reveal something of the heart of the Sabbath. What, what was to define the day that God had set apart for his people? Well, notice what it says. 
it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. We are running out of time, so I can't flesh all of this out, but you can kind of begin to see something of the echo of Genesis 2 here. right? As, as God's people have this day of rest, notice the works that they are glad in, that they rest in. They are the works of God's hand. Right? They rest in what God has done. You see, the Sabbath was given within the context of God's covenant with his people. I will be your God, you will be my people. He did not give his people this day to burden them. And he didn't give this, this, day, this day to his people in order that they might be like, have this as a weight on their backs they must carry. But it was meant to be something that was light and joyful for them. Because within the context of the covenant, the works that we rest in are the works of that God has done. And primarily today, as we gather every Lord's Day, why do we sing for joy? Because we rest in the work that God has done in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Christ's works that we have a day of rest. It's this reason, and we can talk about this a lot more, and we don't have time for it, but it's this reason the Lord's Day has now moved from the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, now to the first day of the week. It is the day of the Lord's resurrection when his work was, was finished and accomplished. And he rose again to inaugurate a new day. And so every Lord's Day we sing for joy. Not from the works of our own hands, but we sing for joy for the works that God has done in Jesus Christ. This is what it means to observe the Lord's Day, right? We, we're going to mentioned very briefly that there are things that we should avoid doing on the Lord's Day, but we have to keep in mind that the reason we're to avoid certain things on the Lord's Day is not because avoiding them necessarily has value in and of itself, but because by avoiding those things, it frees us to now engage in the positive things of this day, of singing for joy. That's what the Catechism highlights for us, right? The Catechism doesn't say, okay, you can't do this, 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 and that, Rather, it's highlighting the fact that you are freed on this day from, from your normal work and your normal labors and from striving in this world to now gather with God's people in public worship to hear Christ speak, to rejoice in his work, to sing for joy, right? The, the, the avoiding of things is, is serving the positive aspects And I think when we get that in our minds, right, we can move from a kind of legalistic view of the Lord's Day and and even a self-righteous view. It was kind of the common thing in the Midwest when we were out out there to kind of look down uh, upon our various neighbors who didn't keep the Lord's Day and to say, well, I don't cut my grass on the Lord's Day and and I don't um, uh, clean my gutters on the Lord's Day and I don't do these kind of work. And it became a very self-righteous thing because of the things we didn't do, but rather... What's primary, primary for the Lord's Day is the positive things that, by avoiding those things, frees us to do. And so for students, right, it's like, I'm not going to fill this day with homework. I'm not going to fill this day with studying. I'm going to fill this day instead with public worship. I'm going to fill this day with reading God's Word. I'm going to fill this day with singing hymns, 
within church, outside, right? These are the things, because these are the things that God calls us to do and to rejoice in this, this day. Right? We're, as those who might have your job might require a sun, sun, you to work on Sundays. Well, we should strive not to have to engage in our work. Now, some work is necessary. Some doctors are on call. Some policemen are on call. Some firemen are. Right? There is certain work that is necessary, and God says we can engage in those things. But we should be desiring in our hearts to have this day as free as possible that we might engage in singing for joy at the works that Christ has done. Right? You can kind of see the heart behind that. Because I delight in Christ, because he is my Lord, because he is my King, because he is my Savior, because of what he has done for me, this is the day that God calls me to rejoice in that. And therefore, I don't want to engage in all of these things. I'm going to strive to get rid of those things. I'm going to get them done on Saturday, right? I'm going to mow my, my lawn, if we have one, on Saturday, right? I'm going to wash my car on Saturday. These are things we can do, not to be legalistic, but because I want this full day. And notice, that's what the psalm even in Psalm 92 reminds us. It's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. The whole point here, morning and night, was meant to be something that encompassed the whole day. The common view of the Lord's Day uh, today in, in most broad evangelical circles, and something I grew up with, was simply just you went to church in the morning, God gets your morning, and then the rest of the day is yours. And um, most people haven't really probably looked at it more closely, so I don't want to simply impugn motives and intention. Uh, these people are genuine and godly people. But God's, God's word calls us not just to sanctify the morning unto him, but the whole day. A whole day of singing. A festive morning of rest? No, a festive day of rest God gives us. A day of rest and gladness. All right, and so these are the things that we are to strive for. Herman Bovink, just to kind of summarize some of this, puts it this way. I'd mentioned him, and he's been very helpful as I've been thinking through the Ten Commandments. He had said this, similar to what I've been just talking about. He said, negatively, you know, how do we observe the Lord's Day? Negatively, by abstaining from ordinary works and from all the work that brings profits and earns something toward our livelihood. Permitted are all works that directly pertain to divine worship, all works of mercy, and all works of necessity. Thus, no Jewish strictness. He had in mind the Jews of Jesus' day. And you can even observe in our own day. Cooking, these are some examples. Cooking food, lighting a fire, making a bed, dressing, eating, walking are certainly permitted. Nowhere does the New Testament teach that Sunday was observed by merely abstaining from work. Resting as such is still only negative and has no value in itself and is only a means for practicing the positive. Positively, rest consists in consecrating oneself, consecrating yourself, dedicating yourself to God. Congregational assemblies, reading God's word, using the sacraments, singing, and gathering and presenting alms. That's what the catechism also says as well for us, right? So these are the things that God gives us to enjoy in this day. And, and as he gives them that our lives might be refreshed and we might rest in Christ, Rest in his resurrection, and um, he has given it for us to that end. And so just to come to a conclusion here, I think the catechism provides us with that right emphasis. 
Right, again, just to conclude with these words, the gospel ministry in schools for it be maintained, the word ministry be maintained, and that especially on the day of of rest, of the festive day of rest, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to the Lord publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. But also, and just to conclude on this note, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through his spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. All right, this day is a foretaste, and we ourselves are then to rest in um, and from all of our evil ways and rather rest in what God has done. And if we're not resting, right, Christ calls us then. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the rest that Christ gives us. It's the rest that we now strive from, right? We go into a new week having been refreshed and encouraged by Christ. And therefore, let us go even this day, filling our minds, not with the things of this world, maybe turning the phone off. Again, not to give you a bunch of rules that you need to do, but maybe turning the phone off, not filling our minds with Instagram and all the news in this world, but spending a good portion of our afternoon reading God's word, um, gathered in fellowship, which I know we've often been doing, especially a lot of the young people here. The Lord's Day has been a day in which we've been gathering together and encouraging each other and having Christian fellowship. That's a way in which we enjoy the Lord's Day. Um, and so let's fill our, fill our day and every Lord's Day with singing and rejoicing and being glad at the work of God's hand, the work of Christ in whom we rest today and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us this day of rest. Father, left to ourselves, we would have no sense of time, uh, no sense of where everything is going, and we would be no different from the world, uh, striving endlessly on a treadmill of, of weariness and toilsome. And so, Father, we thank you for a day of rest. Thank you for this day. And thank you that we can hear uh, your word preached, uh, that we can uh, pray to you publicly, and that we can give generously uh, to the poor and for those in need. And so, Father, help us to set apart uh, the whole day uh, for such things. We might fill our minds with what is good and true and right, and that we might seek that which is in heaven, and that we might be filled with what is unseen, even your truth and the life that is to come. And so, Father, bless us this day, grant us your rest, and encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.